0: Hey, everyone. My name is Jeff Oaks, and I'm one of the pastors on staff here at Reunion. This past week, we began the season of Lent with Ash Wednesday, right? Lent is a traditional time of fasting, of, of giving things up. You might be thinking, I've already been doing that. I've been, I've been giving things up for over a year with this pandemic, and that's true. But Lent is a different kind of fasting, a different kind of giving up. We call it a season of giving up good things for the sake of something better, and that better thing is really the greatest thing. It's it's Jesus. It's the ability to give our attention to him on who he is and what he's done for us. And the season leads us all the way up to, to Easter. And during that time here at Reunion, we're going to be focusing on Jesus kind of Core teaching in the Gospel of Matthew. It's the Sermon on the Mount. And it's going to challenge us and inspire us. And it's going to be really good for us to walk through this sermon together for these weeks. In his book, What If Jesus Was Serious, author Sky Jathani tells the, the following story. He writes: Several years ago, I taught a class at my church on the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus' most famous message which contains contains many of our faith's most important ethical teachings. And on the first day of class, after reading the full sermon together, I asked the students, how many of you think Jesus actually expects us to live out these commands? No one raised their hand. I was surprised. So I dug deeper and I asked, why shouldn't we take the Sermon on the Mount seriously? It's impossible to obey, one person said. No one can live like this. Jesus was showing how we all need God's grace, another student shared. He was illustrating what a perfect life looks like and how none of us can attain it. In their view, Jesus must have preached the sermon while frequently winking at his disciples to communicate, you know, don't worry, you don't have to take any of this seriously. Never mind that he ended the sermon with a story about the perils of not obeying his words. And Jathani concludes this little story by saying, Today, many Christians simply dismiss the Sermon on the Mount as irrelevant, even as they stridently proclaim their allegiance to Jesus in the culture. But what if Jesus didn't intend for us? to dismiss his words as implausible or impractical. What if Jesus was serious? And that question is gonna guide us as we read through this sermon in the weeks ahead. And what if Jesus was serious when he calls us to a different way of living? What if he was serious when he asks us to seek first God's kingdom his righteousness, not our own. He instructs us to pray, not my will be done. Father, your will be done. When he tells us to worry and not to judge. Was, was he serious? Did he mean it? And here's why that question is so important for us to consider. Our culture says, you know, we shouldn't take Jesus too serious. Well, that's kind of an ancient teaching, how could that possibly apply today? It's too radical, it's too demanding, it's too too out there. But what if our real issue is we haven't taken Jesus seriously enough? And that tension that exists between merely praising Jesus and actually following Jesus might explain why Christianity seems to us seems to have lost its credibility with the watching world these days because they're seeing through our hypocrisy. Now, on the one hand, we praise Jesus, a crucified Savior, who loved and forgave us when we were his enemies. But on the other, we choose to live our lives more accurately reflecting the culture around us than the calling of the one that we profess to follow. And I'm using the term we here because this this includes me. This is a huge challenge. Jesus describes for us what it's going to look like. He said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. Too often, we're guilty of what Jesus described as praising him with our lips while our hearts are far from him. I don't want to be like that. And I've I've decided wholeheartedly that I trust Jesus. I I believe that he's my savior. I, I want my life to reflect that. And I wonder, is it possible that the antidote for a fractured culture full of division and hostility is not an apathetic church that bears little resemblance to the character of God? I mean, is it possible that the remedy for a world that is broken and racist and empty and hopeless is not a faithless people? What if the path to true healing and hope and unity for our nation and for our planet lies in a transformed people? who live out the gospel message of Jesus. What if, what if we took the teachings of Jesus seriously? Now, I know it's kind of a heavy note, right? But if you're ready to learn what he had to say, let's turn there. We're, we're going to find it in Matthew chapter 5, the first gospel account of Jesus' life, beginning in verse 1. We read, now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. And blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. These verses are typically referred to as the Beatitudes. And Jesus spoke them right at the beginning of his ministry. What a way to begin. He is directly challenging our understanding of how the world works. In Jesus' topsy-turvy upside-down kingdom, these are the people who are blessed. The poor, the mourners, the meek, the hungry and thirsty, the merciful, the pure-hearted, the peacemakers, and the persecuted when we read these words, you know, one of the temptations for us might be to make that list prescriptive instead of descriptive. I mean, we might be tempted to say, ah, aha, apparently in order to be blessed by God, I need to become poor and grieving and meek and hungry and thirsty and forgiving and pure, and a peacemaker who is persecuted. Okay, I got it. I'm going to go out and get that done. But that would be a misreading of the Beatitudes. You see, to go out and try to embody these traits in order to receive the blessing of God would be a temptation to reject some good traits that are actually running counter to what we've just read. I mean, you'd be tempted to reject joy and courage because they're the opposite of mourning and meekness. And if mourning and meekness are the true signs of a mature believer of Jesus, well, we wouldn't want to be joyful, or we wouldn't want to be courageous. That would be contradictory, but that's ridiculous, right? And I'm not saying that some of these traits— that they're not aspirational. They are. I mean, we should be working to become a merciful people, pure-hearted, peacemakers. But that's not the point Jesus was trying to make. Jesus wasn't prescribing how to be blessed. In these verses, he's describing who is blessed. And that's an important distinction He's not saying you need to become poor in spirit in order to be blessed by God. Jesus is saying, listen, if you're poor in spirit right now, if you feel defeated and alone, if if COVID or winter or life has you feeling impoverished down deep in your bones, don't lose heart. You're not alone. The kingdom of heaven is yours. God's blessing is yours. Jesus isn't saying you have to mourn in order to be blessed by God. No, Jesus is saying, listen, if you're mourning right now, if you've lost someone and the grief is almost too much to bear, if you're hurting because of that loss, don't lose heart. You're not alone. You will be comforted. God's blessings are yours. We could use the same exercise with each of the rest of these beatitudes. Meekness, hunger, thirst, merciful, pure heartedness, peacemakers, persecuted. Do you understand what Jesus is trying to accomplish here? He's speaking to an actual crowd of people in real time who are experiencing hurts and losses And indignities. He's telling them listen, the world might say you should throw in the towel right about now and just give up. The culture around you might say you're weak, you're a loser, a washout, a sucker, or a punching bag. But I'm telling you, it's not the way God sees you. God's blessings. Are yours. The world might tempt you to think that you're cursed, but I say, don't lose heart. You're blessed. And if Jesus was serious, in case you're wondering, <laughs> I think he was, then no one is beyond God's blessing. And that's the point that he's making. No one is beyond the blessing of God, not the poor, not the grieving, not the meek or the persecuted or the hungry and thirsty, not the peacemakers or the merciful or the pure in heart, all of them right in the wheelhouse of God's blessing. Listen, maybe you you feel like you missed that. (laughs) Maybe you feel like you were absent on that day in school, and for some reason, God just chose to skip your life over. Maybe you feel like you could never earn God's blessing. You'd never be deserving of it. It's not true. Blessings of God are available to you. And if Jesus Jesus was serious, and he absolutely was, not only is the blessing of God within your reach, it's yours right now. Jesus was announcing to everyone gathered on that mountainside that the kingdom of God had broken into our world. No one is beyond God's blessing. How do we know that's true? Because Jesus didn't just teach these words as a case study for us to examine and consider. He walked up a hill with a cross on his back, And he allowed himself to be nailed to it and to die so that we could experience reconciliation with God. He died in our place so we could experience life. He was cursed so that we could be blessed. And I love how the Old Testament writer Isaiah puts it. This is Old Testament language, but it it speaks to who Jesus is and what he's done. He writes, surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God and stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And the punishment that brought us peace, or you could say shalom, wholeness, blessing, that punishment was on him and by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Jesus showed us the lengths to which he's willing to extend himself on our behalf. If you've ever doubted God's intent to bless your life, just look at the holes in his hands and feet See the wound in his side. And know that that's the extent of his love for you. The blessing of God is not given out to us based on our merit. God offers it based upon an unending flow of grace that flows pouring out the very heart of Jesus for us. So What do we do with that understanding of who God chooses to bless? It's so different from our culture and our understanding of who is blessed, right? What does it mean if no one is outside of the blessing of God? Well, I'd like to explain it to you with a story. There once was this person actually about your age, born around the same time, and this person faced a world that was truly brutal, and there was hardship and sickness and brokenness all around. I mean, it flooded the daily news cycle and filled the social media pages, and it even crept into the place where this person lived. It got to the point where it seemed like their heart was just about to break. And this person, you know, they kind of have your smile even though they're really not able to show it much right out now, but well, anyway, they, they were moved to tears by all of these losses. I mean, it felt like they were trying to hold water in their hands only to watch as it slipped through their fingers. So many losses they experienced. And truth be told, they'd become timid, afraid to go out, afraid to reach out, afraid to speak out, afraid. And in the midst of it all, this deep longing began to build inside. And this person, have I mentioned that they... They actually sound a whole lot like you. They, they talk with the same kind of cadence. It's, it's, it's kind of uncanny, but, well, they found themselves crying out for justice, hungry for everything that has gone wrong to be made right again, desperate for an end of the hurting, like parched lips waiting for water. So what did they do this person? And you know, they have your eyes. They really, they really do. Well, they, they chose to forgive instead of holding a grudge. And it was hard. They decided to follow their heart to forgive and instead of hanging on to that bitterness. And they were convicted somewhere deep down, and they decided to step up and extend an olive branch instead of a sword. I guess you could say they decided to be a bridge instead of burning one, and it was costly. And they got walked all over. It was like they were holding up a sign that said, take another swing at me, please. People took things important things, things that couldn't be given back. It was painful and it hurt. And this person you know could I, I could almost swear it was you. They sat down and listened one day as another person spoke the words "You're not alone. don't lose heart." And it took them a second to consider how to respond. They were tempted to laugh, to get cynical. I mean, just when they were about to tune out, the speaker said those words again You're not alone, don't lose heart. And this time it felt like a taunt, like salt in a wound. It wasn't funny anymore. And as the anger started to rise, the words came again. You're not alone, don't lose heart. And again, you're not alone, don't lose heart. And again, and again. Now, instead of bringing anger, the words started to sink in and take root. Like light breaking through the darkness. Like a shoulder to cry on. Like the smell of rain when it first hits the ground. Like a bowl of hot soup on a cold winter day. Like someone saying, I forgive you after you've told them how sorry you were. Like seeing the face of God, the face of a small baby. Like being welcomed home after you've run away. Like the gates of heaven opening wide. You're not alone. Don't lose heart. It was a blessing from God, those words, an invitation. And as you heard them, you stood up. You, the poor in spirit, the mourner, the meek. You, the hungry and thirsty, merciful, pure hearted, the peacemaker, you, the persecuted and rejected. You stood up with eyes wide open and walked in faith right through those gates. And your heavenly father, he saw you from a long way off, and he smiled as he ran to greet you, saying, rejoice, be glad, My blessed child, welcome home. In Jesus' topsy-turvy, upside-down kingdom, that's what these beatitudes mean. You are not alone. You are blessed. Don't lose heart. Let's pray. Oh, Father, thank you for unmerited favor, grace, blessing that you pour out. And I don't know what anybody else is feeling right now, but I I feel the burden of these times we're living in. I feel poor in spirit and I need the reminder today, I'm not alone you are with me. I don't need to lose heart. The blessings that you offer are mine in Christ Jesus so I can hang on one more day in faith and trust you. That's my prayer for all of us, Father, that we would know your blessing is not attached to how good we are how awesome our talents are, or how popular or successful that we've been, it's based on the fact that you love us, and in Christ Jesus, you've shown us the extent of that love. Thank you. Thank you for that blessing. Help us to share it. Pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.